Unfortunately, Allie is having some technical difficulties, probably because I got booted off of my uh, amazing premium Zoom membership that I had as a resident. So we converted to Google Hangouts, but she is here physically, just uh, can't speak. She's part of our video and may comment via the chat box um, some thoughts or questions. And now that I am done residency, I am able to be slightly less anonymous. So I was going by my middle name, Anna, on this podcast. But normally in real life, I go by my first name, which is Deb. So feel free to call me that instead of Anna, but I really don't care. You could call me whatever, as long as I know that you're referencing me, it's cool. So today we have, oh, and I actually do want to make one more announcement before we get into it. So as everyone knows, I just finished residency and it's a little bit of a transitional phase and I just moved across the country and I'm doing locums and starting my own private practice and I have to take my board so it's a lot of stuff so I'm a little bit busy and don't expect episodes if they happen they happen if they don't they don't Uh, eventually hopefully my life will become more regimented again and can go back to you know releasing episodes more often so today we have my friend from residency on the podcast with us to to protect her identity. We are going to call her Summer today on the podcast because, you know, she reminds me of the summer. Yes. (laughs) But yes, we were in psychiatry residency together until she left, which is part of what we've been talking about the past few episodes, people who left at some point during their training. So I don't know if you want to start off by telling us whatever you feel comfortable about your life in this mm-hmm. moment yeah. um, and start there and then backtrack to like, you know, your path to becoming a physician. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, I would say that um, the reason I wanted to become a doctor in the first place was because in high school, I just really gravitated towards science. Um, and when I was in college, I loved I love neuroscience and I was studying that as my major and I just felt like I was really personable with people. Um, I, people felt comfortable telling me anything and I just thought, you know, if I do go into medicine, I want to do psychiatry or something with neuro. And mm-hmm. um, between all the different neuro things that there were, I just felt like psychiatry fit my personality the best. So I just continued down that path and got some mentorship in it and realized, yeah, like it definitely suits me and I definitely want to help people in this way because I really do value mental health and I really care about the mental health of others around us. And I think that it's um, so instrumental to like everything we do, just understanding that like mind-body connection, spirituality and everything like all of that just seems so much more connected than I think, um, I don't know, than it, than it, than it's typically maybe conveyed. It's all just about numbers and like in medicine, I just kind of felt like it was more, it, it just, things seem separate. And I like the fact that psychiatry kind of just brings everything together or kind of like, 
puts a voice to that untangible thing that's just like humanity. So it was um it was definitely a magical journey to get to this point. And um yeah, it's actually definitely still something I'm very interested in. Yeah. So it sounds like you had psychiatry on your mind even when you were applying to medical school. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. It was like my reason to go. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about like what was the process for you, like applying and then matriculating into med school? Like was was that part like easy for you? Was it difficult? Was it like, you know, average? I know. Um, I would say it was difficult. Um, I knew I wanted to do it and I just was so determined to get in that I didn't imagine that I mm-hmm. wouldn't, but it wasn't easy or straightforward. So um, I tried to apply immediately after undergrad and be like a non-traditional, I mean, to be a traditional uh, applicant. And mm-hmm. that did not work out. And I kind of felt like, you know, I was definitely an underdog in that because uh, my grades weren't the highest. Uh, and I mean, when you're talking about med school level here, you're competing with people that are like, getting straight A's and all this stuff. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, I went through and I felt good. I honestly felt proud of myself for everything that I did in my, (laughs) in my undergrad, but it wasn't that. So I kind of knew I was an underdog walking in and then my MCAT wasn't the best either. So I kind of figured, you know, if I don't get in, I might just need to improve those two things. Um, So I didn't end up getting in the first time that I applied. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be non-traditional. That's fine. And I did a post-bac program and, Mm -hmm. um, and I studied for the MCAT again. And I took the MCAT like while I was doing the post-bac thinking that those courses would prepare me for it. And honestly, I kind of needed to really do like a specific MCAT kind of course yeah. Uh, because I still, my, my score didn't change. So I was like, okay, let me just focus on the grades right now. So I did really well in that post-bac though. So it helped out a lot. I did a whole year of just extra classes and um, it bumped up my GPA a lot. So at least that part I felt better about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I did um, an MCAT class. Uh, I did this Kaplan MCAT class and that's what kind of made the difference for me because I just needed, or no, was it, was it Kaplan or was it Princeton? Well, either way, it was one of those two. And um, yeah, yeah, that made all the difference for me and my score went up and I felt like, okay, you know, I can apply with this. So I applied and um, while I was applying, I even did this, um, I did like some research. I did research for a year in the middle of it and like breast cancer research and um, was kind of juggling all that at once. And, uh, and it worked out. So I got in and um, I had taken two years off. But yeah, I finally got in after all of that. And, um, and I chose to go, I had a couple options. And I chose to go to the school that I went to. I'm like, should I say it? (laughs) Let me not. Maybe not. Maybe that's a little much. But (laughs) I really wanted to go to the school that I went to. And I was glad to be there. Um, And, uh, and med school was like, hard, but I kind of just kept 
going to the next phase. Like you just, you push and you push and you keep going and you keep Mm -hmm. going. And I just kind of like was able to keep going through it. And it reminded me a lot of undergrad, honestly, like not, not the coursework. I just mean my particular path because there was people out there doing amazing and I'm happy for them, but that wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) Not me. Yeah. Like I was able to like, you know, keep my head down, go through the motions and do whatever I needed to do to get through it all and be done. So, um, yeah, so that worked out. And then residency. <laughs> I'll let you yeah, ask the well, next question. <laughs> yeah. So first off, we have some interjections from Allie. Okay. She pointed out that there's no shame in being non-traditional. It gives you more experience and time to solidify that this is what you really want, which, you know, I absolutely agree with. Even yeah. as someone who went the traditional route, I think, mm-hmm. you know, people people who enter med school when they're older usually have more solid reasons for it because uh it it takes like a higher level of commitment i think to enter a little older yeah um and then she also said that sometimes it can be easier for people to do well in medical school when they enter right after you know college because they are or I guess even like a master's degree or haven't had any gap in education because they're still in the habit of studying um, and then studying really rigorously. So with medical school, I also know that you told me that you met your husband in med school, yeah, right? And it also always sounded like you had a really good like support network. Yeah. Is that, is that true? Like when you look back on med school, are those also things that contributed to, you know, maybe just being able to push through things even when they were difficult? Yeah, definitely. Like 100%, like the support was, was really good. And, um, whenever I was really down or upset, like we were each other's allies in each other's corner, no matter what. And even if like administration or whatever wasn't giving us what we needed, like we found a way mm-hmm. to give each other what we needed to push mm-hmm. forward. So that was huge, like really huge. Mm-hmm. And then when you were looking at when you were fourth year and you were going into the match, like what were you facing? What were your thoughts? Obviously, we know that you were still stuck on psychiatry and knew that's what you wanted to do. But I already brought up that you met your husband in med school. So obviously that adds a component uh, to, you know, it's a little different if someone's just like a single person or they have a significant other that's just going to follow them wherever they go or something like that. So obviously your fourth year experience was maybe a little more difficult than someone else's. Yes, um, definitely more difficult because I... I had a lot to lose. Um, it was, I was so happy uh, in my situation that I honestly couldn't see myself living without it. So I was really stressed over it. And there'd be days when I would cry. And I remember going even to his parents' house and just crying. I was scared. I didn't want to face a future that was just different from my current reality at that time because um, it was it was a lot of hardship in medicine and you kind of know like the future is going to be just as challenging if not more challenging 
Um, so it was like one of my worst nightmares to imagine us being separated. And the worst nightmare of them all was to be separated across the country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, you know, that just goes, obviously, I think most people know I'm not a proponent of the match system. And I know there are some people who will defend it to the grave and are like, oh, well, otherwise you just have to, like, you know, take whatever's handed to you because you'd be afraid you wouldn't get any more offers. But yet we're stuck with these terrible offers because they all know we have no choice except to take their contract. And it puts you in a situation like this where your whole fourth year, you you know, you met your husband in medical school. You have an amazing relationship. And not only do you have the normal, like, match stress, now you have to feel like it's either, like, your, it could end up being ultimately your relationship or your career, as Ali just pointed out in the chat. And that's not something someone should have to go through, nor is it something, like, anyone in almost any field has to go through. It's, like, such an extra level of, of stress. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that I've learned after all of this is that I also do not like the match system. I wish it was gone. I just, I suffered from it. Like that system failed me terribly. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's so many things in this world that like cause me nightmares. (laughs) There's certain things in this life that I've experienced that I've been like, this is a nightmare scenario. And, and that was one of them. So it's just like, why in the world do we have to go through this? We're human beings. Uh, We have lives and we have loved ones. And the last thing you want to do is be forced to be separated from them. So it was just about the, yeah, like the Hunger Games. (laughs) The worst. Hallie in the chat. (laughs) (laughs) The worst thing. So I really had to face a lot with that. Um, We ended up being separated. So I had to walk into this whole situation knowing that I had to live out my nightmare and just figure it Mm -hmm. out. But even with that, I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to do what I can and I'm going to make it work. And we're just going to find ways to persevere, you know, like whatever Mm -hmm. we can do, because I mean, at that point, it's kind of all you can do. Yeah. So I'm going to clarify so listeners can follow. So you're in a situation where you were trying to couples match. You knew that obviously this makes things a lot more difficult. You didn't couples match, but both ended up in programs. But they were, can I say that they were on opposite sides of the country? Yeah. Yeah. And so obviously it it was like, you know, it was a nightmare being realized. It might not have been like, your worst nightmare, I guess your worst nightmare would be like you guys both not matching. True. And like, uh, yeah. Or like, and, and having to like scramble into like intern years somewhere that weren't even like, you know, but it was a, it was a, it was still a nightmare scenario, even if it wasn't the worst scenario. But like you said, you tried to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously we know at the end of this story, at some point you leave residency. So that being said, do you want to bring us through like, you know, okay, you're starting residency. How, how were you feeling? How were things going through you? And then like what you're comfortable talking about, like, you know, what was too much for you? Yeah. Uh, so when I started residency, um, 
it wasn't too too far from my medical school actually it wasn't like um like i i was able to drive down there uh so it felt like okay you know what this isn't familiar but it's not entirely unfamiliar either so i was kind of like trying to cling on to the things that were positives um i thought our program director was cool and nice in the beginning. (laughs) Oh, and I want to clarify. Uh So I will say the reason I'm comfortable stating this too is the program director that we mentioned in this episode is no longer affiliated with our former program or a hospital in any way. Um, And any people that really come up in this story, I think, as uh, toxic to say the least, I don't believe are associated with any of our hospitals in any way and um maybe this gives a little hint as to why and that's all I'll say on that but okay go ahead well cool. I know I'm like if I say too much just let me know <laughs> but no I think you know and that's part of the reason I think there's this idea that we can never talk about our bad experiences that yeah. we have that we're gonna get in trouble if we say anything about like abusive experiences we've been through but at some point I think you know you, we don't need to protect the people who abused us anymore. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. And that's very true. Uh, it's like this really bad, weird culture. And I think it's toxic and it just allows toxicity to continue. So let's yes. freaking kill that. <laughs> um, yeah. So in the very beginning, though, I was trying to kind of like see the glass half full not half empty, um, trying to walk into it, just like getting a sense of the area, getting to know what it's like to be a doctor. And it was hard. Like, and even with that mindset, just trying to stick this thing out, it was very, very hard. Um, I actually had told the program director, like from the very beginning, honestly, I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay. Like I might need to, move I might need to go somewhere Mm -hmm. else because this is a lot like I have no family here no friends here I don't know anybody here all of this is totally brand new to me and it's just you know if I ever find myself in a situation where like I'm just not able to learn and it's not healthy for me like I don't want that to be the basis of my whole career and my entire life so I'm willing to figure out other places Um, And, you know, in residency, that is not as straightforward as it should be. (laughs) Well, and and I want to point out, too, you know, we didn't clarify it, but I think it's important to clarify because it just makes it so much more obvious why you should have been supported with this. But when you didn't couples match, like, you took the contract with our program, like, after the match because initially there was someone in the class who decided to delay another year. So you took the contract for this program stating that as you've told me many times that you weren't completely sure that you were going to want to stay and that you were going to try to do it but that it was really important for you if you could to be training in the same place as your significant other yeah it was always a dream of mine and it was where I felt like I would excel the best and um you know I uh yeah, I was upfront about it. It wasn't like I lied, you know. I told yeah. that. I told this individual. So that was a fact and it was denied later, 
But um, mm-hmm. that we can get into later. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so essentially, you came in honest, and the thing is, like you sort of point out, for you, train like potentially as we've insinuated, changing residency programs ended up being a lot more difficult and possible than you thought it should be. And part what I want to point out too is actually. If your program director supports you in changing programs, it's really not that difficult. But if they don't support you, then it's close to impossible to change programs. Yeah. So, and the reality is with the rules of ACGME, your program director is supposed to support you if you want to switch programs. But as we all know, many times programs do not care about what the rules are um, and just do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's really disturbing. It's honestly very disturbing. Uh, Something I had to live through. So I could tell you as the byproduct of this, I was disturbed by it. (laughs) But, um, and that, that will, I will get more into that. But so I'm also thinking about in the very beginning, I was in other rotations, like it wasn't all psychiatry from the beginning. I was doing like neurology rotations. I was seeing, uh, like we were in the ED for a rotation. We did all these different things and mm-hmm. it was just kind of for me all about just like going through the motions, getting through, um, just learning how to become a doctor. And that was stressful enough. Like that in itself is like a full-time job, right? Like beyond a full-time job. More than a full-time yeah. job. Yeah. And you're just in it trying to learn as much as you can, as quickly as you can, and help as many people as you can. And my heart really was in the right place with it. Because no matter how much I struggled, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I did all that I could for the patients. Like, I didn't want them to suffer because I was suffering. And, um, you know, that's just, that's the system that we're in. And I didn't want it to, like, affect them because they had nothing to do with it. You just, you just you had a stroke and you're in the hospital. Like it's not your fault that I'm a doctor in this like oppressive system. So it sounds like, you know, in the beginning there was an idea of maybe this is just like typical tough stuff people go through in residency. And especially when you're on those medicine months, no one in psychiatry views them as something that's going to be positive. It's more just something you're going to endure. So, you know, I guess when did you start to maybe deal with some things that didn't seem as bearable like did that happen at some point during intern year or was that more when you hit your second year like sort of how was that process for you yeah I realized um that things were becoming uh beyond the usual difficulty in intern year once I was on the psychiatry rotations and meeting the people I was going to be really working with all the time. And um, there were certain parts of it. I guess I understood like the other specialties they had like second years or third years, always with the interns. And so they kind of had that structure of just like being around people. Mm -hmm. But uh, with us, it was always like, 
and it's just you. Yeah, and that's something I want to bring up because this is something I talk about like a lot in real life about why I think psychiatry residency is so difficult, Mm -hmm. but I don't think I've ever spoken about on the podcast Mm -hmm. because I don't know if I've ever been on it with another psych resident Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. before, but like the way psychiatry residency is set up is first you have your first two years are almost entirely inpatient. You will do like three and you do six months of medicine, your intern year, you will often do like three, like in our program, we would do like three months of medicine straight. So it'd be three months of like 80 hour work weeks straight. And then after that, you go to psych inpatient, which is maybe like, you know, like high 60 hour work weeks or something like that, or, or maybe low 70. Um, not that much better and the worst thing is then when you're on psych if you're doing night flow or you're taking call you are like the senior from the time you're an intern you're like the only psychiatrist in the hospital occasionally when you're an intern there's a second year somewhere but they're always you know super swamped covering consults you don't really see them right um and it's very isolating. And then when you're on teams, unlike on medicine where it's like multiple residents on a team, it's always just like one psych resident. So, uh, you know, you're alone. It's just like you and you're attending maybe. Um, and it's really isolating because you don't have like, you know, with medicine people, interns, they have their seniors, at least one or like one or two of them. They have some co-interns on their team. Yeah. There's a real like, you know, you're going through it together. In psych, you're all alone. Yeah. And especially when you're at a place where maybe the attendings aren't supportive or ancillary staff is not supportive, mm-hmm. it can turn into like a nightmare situation where you are being scapegoated for various issues in the hospital quite easily. So I think I think being a psychiatrist as an like an attending is a really good gig Mm -hmm. but I think at a lot of programs especially ours which is known to maybe be a more uh quote workhorse program one of maybe maybe one of the maybe maybe (laughs) maybe one of maybe has a reputation of being one of the uh, hardest in that regard if not the hardest in the country Mm -hmm. so it just made all of those issues maximize yeah it it does and it's like you know if you have an issue you have to figure it out and the only way that you can get any help is like you really have to push hard and try to call the attending sometimes they're not even there or they're busy or they're not answering their phone yeah and and honestly, they don't even know they're on call. Yeah. You'll sit there like, hi, I need help. They're like, what? <laughs> so it was just like so many times I just felt like I wasn't getting any good supervision. Like I was on my own trying to deal with all this stuff and I was very new to everything. So it's like at this point, I expect there would be someone here kind of like showing me what to do. But there wasn't and then there was so much turnover of staff like attending turnover so much so it's like okay so one guy's gone and now there's a replacement oh this guy's gone and now the other attending's covering for both uh you know like both uh inpatient like little groups so it was just stressful and part of like that can tell you a lot by the way if you're a medical student you're looking at residency programs like what's the retention rate amongst staff what's the turnover how many residents are staying on 
at that hospital as attendings. Like that gives you a lot of information, um, you know, that unfortunately when you're a med student, I think you often don't know to look for things like that. Obviously people can lie to you. Yeah. Um, You know, Allie put in the chat, did you feel like they were your people? Uh, I want to comment on that because I think, you know, Summer and I were close friends essentially from the get-go, like very close friends around the same Mm -hmm. track. But like, Mm -hmm. I think when you're, even if you and a co-resident have a really great alliance, or even if you have a few co-residents that you really click with, like that doesn't negate all this other stuff that can be going on. Like it, it might just not be enough. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, it helps a lot. But at the end of the day, it's like, you need to get all these notes done, and you're going to lose sleep. And then you're going to have to go back to work the next day. Like, it doesn't like, there's still so much responsibility on your shoulders that you really just need there to be a proper system. And if there isn't a good system in place, like y'all are just struggling together. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I'll be here struggling in my own little way. And then the next day she takes over and she's struggling in her own little way. So it's just like, if only we could like actually be around each other and have an environment where we can all really like, work together to like solve issues but it's just so much work is put on each individual that it's just like man like too much yeah I mean when you're drowning you can't save your friend yeah save yourself yeah that's the thing about it yeah definitely so I was noticing a lot of that that added to it it was already like two strikes against my whole situation and then uh I went on another rotation where my attending was like actively being sued I'm like tell me if this is too much (laughs) okay Deb (laughs) (laughs) I mean it is what it is and like I said these people are not associated with those hospitals anymore and yeah speaks volumes in and of itself yeah (laughs) like I mean it was a nightmare so this attending was being sued and it was my first time on this rotation in this hospital. And, um, I was by myself. Like they just were gone for like weeks of my, of my training intern year. And then whenever they'd come back, they were really hostile against me, essentially like taking out their frustration at their legal problems on me. So it was like, books being slammed by my desk, being berated. I was being berated publicly in front of people all the time. Like it was just, I went from like barely hanging on to like, I just fell. Like I just fell off, Mm -hmm. honestly. And I didn't even know I fell off. I didn't, I didn't realize it until, um, I think until it just got so bad that I was just like, I was just crying all the time. I was already crying from the beginning, but I kind of was like, okay, I'm managing it. I don't know. Maybe I'm crying once every week or once every two weeks, but I started crying like once, twice a week, like it doubled. And I just realized like, I, I can't learn. Like I'm not functioning. Mm -hmm. I'm not retaining information. Like I the only thing I looked forward to in my day was like going to bed. I just wanted to go to bed and close my eyes and hopefully dream something pleasant. Oh my God. (laughs) Like it was that bad. And so I would just, um, you know, try to do whatever I could do to like keep moving forward because I had 
the step three exam coming up and mm-hmm. I was not in a good place mentally at all I knew it I would call people back home and be like I don't know how I'm gonna get through this like I keep reading the same sections of my study book and I don't remember what I read like I'm not Mm -hmm. able to answer these questions I'm slow I read the questions slow I'm answering slowly like it was just like it was bad like even I knew it was bad but I just kept pushing forward because that's always what you do and um I took the exam and I did not pass it um when I found out I didn't pass it it was the first time I ever went through anything like that and it was devastating for me yeah I already felt very defeated just in my whole like you know, my whole situation on this rotation with this attending and just dealing with all the, you know, like life was like nothing of what I wanted it to be. (laughs) And then this, I was already trying to figure out where else I could go. I, it was not, I wasn't going very well. I already sensed that just kind of like from the beginning. And I just knew that if I was closer to home and like all my support, that it would be tolerable so I looked into other places that I could go to and found a place that was very willing to take me on so it was pretty straightforward at that point I was kind of like okay you know I just need to finish out the rest of the year it's fine you know and I can I can do this but the year got worse and worse and worse so I found out that I failed that exam and I quickly wanted to get it taken again because I'm transferring right yeah of course you want to look good I want to look good I want to have everything set up so that I can just like move on and move forward and um man if I got a dollar for every time I said move forward but (laughs) I'm like it's all I'm trying to do it's all you ever think like keep moving forward um But yeah, the attending that I was working under just like essentially just publicly humiliated me and told the whole room that I failed the exam right before I was about to take my second exam. And it crushed me. Absolutely crushed me. I mean, it was I didn't tell anybody because, you know, I'm just dealing with it internally on my own, just trying to get through the days. And he just puts me on blast and laughs at me, really laughs at me for failing. And there's med students in there. There's residents. There's the um, the pharmacy. The pharmacist was in there. Like, it was so many people. And I just remember sitting there at the desk like, you monster. You know you're just trying to mess with me psychologically. And that's like, if I could just say this was kind of like my residency experience in a nutshell, just like people psychologically manipulating me to make me feel Mm -hmm. like I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, or I'm not, you know, I... I need them. I can't go anywhere else. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like you're conditioned to think like you can't do this without me. Like you are weak without me. And then like, once you're broken down, they build you up into this deformed creature that just follows instructions. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, no, like no freaking way. I already can see right through you. So I mean, the damage was done. I'm humiliated. I come up with some excuse that like, oh no, I'm going to see my aunt and it's a family emergency. I have to I have to miss work tomorrow. That's the only reason why I'm missing work. Literally just lied. 
I lied to these people because well, I didn't want to deal with it. Like, yeah. who wants to who wants to sit there in front of a room full of people and be like, oh, hey, everyone, he's right. I did fail this exam and tomorrow I'm going to try to retake it. Thanks for letting everyone know. <laughs> it was like I could laugh about it now, but I used to cry about it. I used to cry. And that's just how far I've come because it, that was a few years ago now. Yeah, and part of I want to point out, too, is, like, obviously we've had discussions about this, but, like, you know, I do believe a a lot of these experiences occur to people who are not, like, who, anyone who isn't, well, there's varying degrees, but, like, someone who's, like, a cis male and they're not an underrepresented minority in medicine, things are going to be a lot easier for them than someone who is a female and or an underrepresented minority who, you know, these people like to pick on. So, you know, people can't see you right now. We're on a podcast, but you're a black female. And that does play a role into people who are shitty know that, you know, oh, this is like medicine. This is a world where I can do whatever I want and prey on people who, you know, you know, this, they're not part of the status quo here. Right. I mean, I, I was alone. There was no one there that like, I don't have any relatives in this area and no, like, like there wasn't anyone before this, like, thankfully for you, Deb, like you were one of my closest friends, if not the closest friend, honestly. And like everything else though, that I had ever known just was like, it wasn't, nothing was there. So, I mean, I was picked on to the, Mm -hmm nth degree and I had to learn how to be a doctor in that environment like I wasn't learning I wasn't retaining anything it was just to the point that I was just kind of like just trying to keep keep my head down and move forward so I end up right so let's just get back to that day so after all that happens like I end up um leaving work early I think I just found some reason to go because I was just like so distraught just needed to collect myself I go take the exam the next day and uh and then the week later you know it's a two-part exam but so after I find out about um or after I took that exam like a month later I found out I failed that one too Mm. and I was just like all right what do you do you know where do you go from here I'm talking to the place that I'm trying to transfer to and they're being so understanding. They're like, don't worry about it. You know, when you get here, you could take it again. No problem. And then I'm talking to um, the program director and he's just like, he just screams at me, literally screams at me that he won't let me go, that, you know, I need to do my residency there and that you know this is highly unusual very rare this never happens like you have to stay here like it was just the craziest conversation I've ever had in my life you know I'm just watching this man scream and yell at me over a decision I need for my life yeah (laughs) didn't he tell you at some point that you were just a Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That too. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Exactly. Yeah. He called me just a body. He's like, don't think that I'm trying to keep you here because I like you. It's because you're just a body. 
And, I, and, you know, like, that's horrific to say to anyone, but I just want to point out once again the power dynamics of, like, a cis male, mm-hmm. <clears throat> a cis white male saying this to someone who is a black female. Like, that's, like, an extra level of fucked up that I think we need to to point out. And, yeah. um, you know, totally not okay. Like, yeah, you know. If not, and it's like, you know, I kind of look back and in history of being African-American in this country. And it was like that power struggle that started our journey here. It still continues. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm in an area, honestly, I hope this doesn't give too much information, but I'm in an area where slavery existed, where people just like me were forced to be there. And Mm -hmm. I'm literally learning stories of this while I'm there and seeing it happen to me. And I'm just like, this is, like happening to me and Mm -hmm. so it was just like so traumatizing like the whole thing yeah yeah and you know and I I think that's important and I don't want to give too much of your med school away but are we allowed to say that when you did go to med school you went to like uh historically black Black. university yeah Yeah, for sure and so I didn't deal with any of this stuff you know Mm -hmm. it wasn't like the color of my skin really had anything to do with how I was being treated and being perceived as less than which honestly I can say that I feel like I was because you know this kind of stuff doesn't like it doesn't happen where I came from And to see it happening so blatantly, it was just like, it was, yeah, it was really, really bad. And and it also didn't ever happen to like white males in our program. Like, you know, like if you talk to a white male in our program, like they have a very different story to tell you about this program, which, uh, hello, America. Like if you, if you talk to any white male out there in the United States, are they going to be like, Oh darn oppression? No, it's their world. Yeah. (laughs) They love it. it. Yeah. That's why it's their world because they love it. They want to keep it that way. Like there was one of our classmates. I hate the term woke, but I'll use it anyways. One Uh of our classmates in our year, who he definitely was really cognizant of how I got treated quite differently than him and would, like, comment on it of his own accord. Hmm. But even that was abnormal because the other, you know, guys in the program, like, a lot of them were like, no, like, I don't really see, like, you know, it's almost like you'd be, like, gaslighted if you even tried to, like, share your experiences. And I did completely notice that, like, the further you were from, like, a cis male who's not an underrepresented minority, like the more dings you have against you that you're not what they think is the status quo medicine, like the worst your experience is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then Allie did have one question to get back on what we were talking about. When you had to retake your boards, did the PD offer you any resources? No. Which is, in, by the way, which is just, like, insane. You, a program director should make it priority if someone didn't pass their boards to help them so that they pass it the next time. Yeah. Not, in like, fact, tell them he gave. That, in fact, he gave me a power trip saying that I would struggle with passing the boards in the future. Which, like, wow, really, kick <laughs> someone when they're down. How about yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, essentially, it was, like, everybody there, when 
whenever I struggled, they just kicked me. Like I was just constantly getting kicked. No one was like in administration was helping me. So I just was like living this experience that was just like not conducive to my career. (laughs) So I knew this, you know, I could tell I knew what was going on. I um, I'm dealing with so much stuff. Well, I'm dealing with so much stuff in the residency right now at this point, and I'm like, I need to really get out of here. I need to go badly. And I go to the um, the the resource, the um, resident resources. Um, gosh, I'm forgetting the names of these people. Not ACGME. I went to like our GME office. Yeah. We went to the, I went to the GME office at our hospital, told them what was happening. And they were like, not even surprised. They said they've seen stuff like this happen before with this particular, you know, (laughs) residency. And so they helped me out and they were reaching out like, you need to let her leave. And he called me. I actually had him on speakerphone and other like my family members heard him say yeah, it's fine. You can go. I will. I agree. I'll let you go. This isn't the place you want to be. Then, you know, I will sign off and that's it. And I was like, wow. Okay. Amazing. And then when, uh, the program, uh, they start talking back and forth. I'm actually, uh, I was talking to several programs trying Mm -hmm. to find several options and I got several offers. I actually had several offers. And so I reached out to each of them. He reached and I told them to contact him and then they all ghosted me to use mm-hmm. this term because <laughs> yeah like I, I was like okay great this is amazing I'm gonna be able to transfer and then no one talked to me afterwards and I tried calling them I tried emailing them no one had anything to say to me and then finally uh the very hospital that uh my husband's at which is one of the places that I had an offer um they told me you know I'm sorry to say this but we can't accept you because we're really honestly scared essentially your program director threatened to contact ACGME on us if we took you on so that's the total opposite of what we were expecting to hear and so now we're trying to look for a different candidate and I was floored I mean I was as low as I thought I could go and then I went lower and I just I was beside myself and um yeah the program director lied to me like he totally lied saying that I could go and then behind my back sent these emails threatening these programs that I couldn't leave. Yeah. And I want to take this, this time to interject and say that like, there are a lot of people who will break, um, like GME rules. Like clearly the program director was doing that in this case and they'll make you feel like you're powerless, but like always document and there is power in numbers And if enough people have documentation of what's going on and have, like, proof and are willing to put themselves out there, like, you know, you might come out okay in the end. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, you know, not to get too in-depth and too much on a tangent, but I want people to know that they have, have power and 
you are made to feel powerless. People always tell you that you can't change anything in residency. Right. And, like, sometimes, you know, it's it's not it's not the fight you want to fight. Like, summer, at some point, you just decided, you know, to cut your losses and leave. But sometimes, for some people, it is the fight that they want to fight. And as Allie's typing in the chat box, the GME office exists for you. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and, and an I H- was talking to the GME office that whole time, and they were telling him like, "What you did, you can't do that." And it just by the time that all this started happening, all my all my spots were gone. Like they moved on. Yeah, and that's kind of what he did. He was buying time. You know, he knew that if he if he blocked me enough, like they wouldn't have the time, and they didn't have the energy or the capacity to just hold out and hope that I'd get it. Like I needed yeah. to get it then and there, so it was already damage done, you know. And and it's hard getting those spots, you know. Honestly, really those spots. Hard. That spot I had three. I had three spots. I have not found a spot since. Like I haven't because I specifically want to be in this particular area. But I mean, there's memory of for people of what happened to me there's memory of the threat and I think that it has tarnished my name and Mm -hmm. so it's just been a challenge for me at this point but um back I'm also I'm jumping around a little bit so after that whole situation happened um I actually went home for a little bit cried screamed lost my mind had a psychotic break practically (laughs) I mean I didn't but I mean spiritually I did yes (laughs) and then I got on that plane and I came back to this place and I had to do a whole other year there and it was the worst year of my life like the worst year of my life I don't know how many times I could say that because like I ha- I already went through so much and um that one attending I went through HR. You know, I fight I fight for what I think is right. And when that attending humiliated me about my exam, like we went to HR and we told them what he did and yeah, we, we had did. a ton of people involved and he got fired. Like he was dismissed whatever trust. If he didn't just let go, he was going to get fired. Let know? me put it this way. Attendings will never get quote fired. They yeah. will a process will start and they will, quote, resign because yeah. it turns it's yes, they're as Ali says, they're forced to resign. So yeah. it's sort of like like a president, right? They don't ever they would never get like actually, um, you know, booted out, but mm-hmm. they can be like forced to resign or whatever. So it's the same situation for attendings. The yeah. pressure is on. They won't be allowed to see patients or anything like you know, it's going to turn into a long, crazy legal battle forever, forever, forever. Obviously, the hospital's way more resources than them, so they'll resign. Yeah, and so I felt so good after that. It was kind of like the moment where I realized, okay, you know, we do have strength. We do have power. I'm not here totally helpless and weak and vulnerable like everyone's manipulating me to believe like I can stand up for myself and for anybody listening to this out there like if you're being oppressed in such a way and you know like you know when you're being uh harassed victimized yeah abused victimized if somebody's calling you names like this person called me girl this person yelled at me pointed fingers at me berated me in front of people like that's not okay and I dealt with that for months so it just um it, it it was a very traumatizing experience for a very long time and i knew this particular attending would um 
would use people to beat people up and do terrible things. And I was scared. Like I was scared that I could be walking to my car one day and like someone would hurt me. And so I was just living in that constant state of fear. And um, you're, you're going to freaking residency. Like this should not ever be running through your mind. It's enough just being a doctor, let alone fearing for your life and your safety. The amount of stuff that I went through, sometimes I sit back, I'm just like, wow. So at the time being, it's kind of like you're in fight or flight mode. You're just doing whatever you can do. But like after I left and I was able to process everything, wow, was that a process for me? So I needed, it's like not until you leave do you realize how low you were, how bad it was. Because yeah. um, I'm so much better now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, second year was kind of just more of all of that. I don't think I have any like specific horrible so, instance, but I, I, I guess- chose to resign. Yeah. So when in second year did you know, did you decide, okay, I'm not signing my contract for PGY3 and I'm leaving? The first day, the very (laughs) first day, shoot, I don't know. (laughs) So, so essentially very early on, because I knew that at least six months before we were done, you had told me you were not going to sign your contract for PGY3 and you were leaving. And I was super supportive of that. Like I'd seen all that you had went through and I also thought, you know, when when someone is abusing you to that level, like the reality is residency can often be like indentured servitude, but it mm-hmm. is not slavery. Yeah. And you can leave. Like the right. ultimate final fuck you yeah. is that you can leave. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy, obviously. I know yeah. you, we've talked about you have a ton of student debt. Mm-hmm. I obviously understand that because I have a shit ton too. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a hard decision, but at some point it still is a decision. You can value your your life yes. more than your residency program spot. Exactly. And that's just what it boiled down to for me. Like I value the person that I am and I have a vision of the person that I want to be. And it was not in line with where I was going with that. Um, I was just, I wasn't really, I couldn't recognize myself. Like I knew that I wasn't the person that I always knew myself to be. Um, And it was only going to get worse. And I kind of was worried that I would lose myself in all of it. And, um, and I just, I'm like, I'm worth so much more. I'm worth so much more. Like, I don't want to lose myself. And so, uh, I would say pretty early on, like the moment that I found out that the program director lied to me, I was like, I can't, I can't be here. I can't work with these people. Like these people are just going to stab me in the back and manipulate me into thinking that I am a worthless person. And I wouldn't get that if I worked at in and out Burger. If I worked at yes. Burger King, you know? Like, oh my God, yes. I was like, I, I could have done that and been happier. So I just knew from those thoughts were all swarming in my mind. The amount of times that I cried, the amount of times I was so unhappy and stressed and just like at the lowest points of my life. And um, I just knew I was like, okay, I'm going to resign and I just need to like find the right time to write the letter. And, um, and I like, wrote this amazing email 
You did. Just, it was so good. Like, if you ever want to resign, you just send in a resignation letter. And then that's like what makes it official. And they won't give you a contract. So I ended up um, doing that like probably a solid four months before it ended or five. Eh, was it March? I can't even remember. But it was enough time. It was in the that, spring. I think yeah, it was March. Yeah, it was in the spring. And um, I just kind of was like writing out the rest of my time. And people were treating me bad. And people were just, you know, saying whatever they wanted to say and do whatever they want to do. I was like, it's all good. You know, I'm out. And yeah. um yeah. And then it happened and it worked. And I was like, I danced out of that hospital. My mom and I together were literally like skipping through the halls. Yes. <laughs> because I had on my summer hat. I was skipping through the halls in a dress, just like, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. And you knew that, you know, yes. you got to, you got to join your, your family and your significant other on the, other coast and not be separated by a whole coast anymore yeah. and I was so happy for you and mm. I know that you know a lot of the pain didn't hit until you left and you told me since then it's been really hard but you know you it was very obvious that you were truly committed to being happy and mm. you were taking every step that you could to be happy and you know that that I think too that shows like you're the type of person I would want to be my psychiatrist because, mm -hmm. you know, something Thank bad you. is happening to you and you're taking the steps to, to change that. Like, you know, aside that you're like a very, you're like the kindest, sweetest human being on the planet, like Aww. aside from that, just like, you know, <laughs> you embody what it is to have something sort of terrible happen to you, like really, a really, really bad thing. And taking everything single step you can to to make your your life better, even though it's really difficult. Yeah, thank you so much. I really felt like you know, it's a it's not a path uh, commonly chosen. It was something that I knew was gonna have to be the path for me, and I just knew that you know I was worth it. I needed to just figure it out for myself and take a chance on myself and my feelings, uh, my own self worth, even if it's not a part of like the celebrated traditional residency path. Um, you know, at the end of all this, I still do actually. Um, I I still want to have the experience of what a healthy residency is like. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm still looking into it. Um, I think I just knew I needed to take some time for myself to heal and to yeah. be in a place where I'm not bringing that, carrying that baggage. Um, because in the beginning, I used to still cry. Uh, I would recount the story and I would cry or I'd be so mad or I'd be just totally disillusioned and just like... I don't know. I would be spaced out. Like I wouldn't even be in reality. So it was like, I just needed to kind of, um, take time for myself to heal and process all the things. Cause there were so many days when I would be crying in residency and I would just force myself to fall asleep because I didn't have time to cry. I needed to sleep. You didn't have time to process. Yeah. You know? And the thing is too, like, since then, you know, you, got engaged mm -hmm. you 
married your mm-hmm. significant other yeah you also were able to get in the right headspace to pass your boards yes so yes so that I mean, happened that all out there yes yeah. all that happened that was a whole process and all in the middle of covid and everything and it was like yep get it done like it's worth it because um i don't want that to just be like the end of my story yes and the thing is, too, you know, and Allie's saying yeah. it's possible with the right tools and headspace, which is what you have. Yeah. Like you said, you never struggled uh, academically like that until never. you were in this toxic residency program. And right. then it, it sort of hung over you for a long time, and it, it took you quite a while to get into the right headspace to mm-hmm. finally take your boards again and get that passing swear that you need. So yeah. for listeners who are not quite as aware about how the medical training is, you – it. You don't necessarily have to complete residency to practice as a physician, but you do have to complete at least one year of residency, and you do have to pass for step three. So Summer, if she wanted to, could practice as a physician now, um, you know, just obviously some states are more difficult to get licensed in and some states like i know california in particular requires three years of residency to get a license with them um you know some people will try to scare you about the failing boards things but uh, programs i mean not programs but like states are actually very lenient with licensing they might just make you jump through a bunch of hoops but so many people have like red flags they have to um you know, yes, and Allie's saying healthcare needs bodies. That's exactly true. So it might be a little more steps when you're applying for like a state license, but you will get your license as long as you are meeting the criteria and don't have any like crazy red flags. And I'm talking about yeah, like, crazy, like if crazy. you're actually like doing things to be hurtful to people, yeah, like murdering like, or like having, a crazy like, legal record, maybe. But yeah, otherwise probably not. And even if you murder someone, I wonder. I'm like the people that I've seen. I'm like, yeah, I mean, some of the, some of the people, you know, we, we have work with people who had records for, you know, having sex with their patients, yes. DUIs, things like that, and still were able to get licenses. In states, so. Yeah, even they lie to some states about their record yes. and still and get then, licenses in other yes. states. Like, it's almost like, okay, don't, don't target me. I was the one that actually went through an oppressive system and just needed to get in the headspace. Like, yeah, I feel like that's the one frustrating thing for me right now is that I think sometimes like, um, like, like it's, you have to weed out the bad people. I'm not a bad person. I was in a very difficult situation. And sometimes I feel like, you know, they kind of think like, Oh, you know, you didn't, you didn't pass step three the first time. So let me just put you in this category. And I'm not that. Or like, you know, the way they, they decide that like professionalism is like what cis males who once again, aren't underrepresented minorities. Like, it's what they are like or anyone who like you know um sides with like the oppressive system of like white supremacy and like shitty males being in charge like if you're not if that's not you as long as you align yourself with those people and accept everything that they say as the gospel you'll be okay too but it's it's not only do will like will this system target people who maybe struggle a little bit academically which doesn't make any sense by the way because because like 
you can be like an MP and go to an online school and like write two papers and all of a sudden you can prescribe on your own in like 27 states yeah. uh, with limited or no supervision. On the other hand, like a physician struggled with one set of boards mm-hmm. a couple of times and like now you have like a lot more hoops to go through or whatever. And so it's like, many what hoops. even? Yeah, it's insane. (laughs) Depending on the state, there's certain states that there's like so many hoops and it's just like it doesn't make sense, especially dealing with like compared to other professions where they haven't even had as much training as we've had. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But, you know, I could go on so many tangents. I know so Um, many. (laughs) I guess what I want to say is it sounds like, you know, you decided the path for you is you do want to go back to residency and Mm -hmm. And finish and have a have a good experience. Can you tell me like your thoughts or like on that and like what part of that process you're in? Yeah, in the very beginning, I didn't want to be a doctor at all. I was like so over it. I just said to myself like I can't, I can't deal with this again. I don't want to be abused. I'm scared. I'm scared that I will be harassed and abused again wherever I go. And um, I don't want to go anywhere by myself for sure. So I had that mindset for a while. And um, it was with some time and talking because I have a lot of doctor friends. Yeah. And that was hard because um, I didn't even want to talk about it. I didn't want to hang out with them. I didn't even want to like hear what they had to say. I just wanted to just erase this part of my life. It's so weird thinking about it, too, because it's like being a doctor. It's like such a huge accomplishment and so people want to celebrate and praise you for it but for me it's a huge source of my pain so it's like I'm seeing it on like I feel it two sides like people think it's amazing that I did this and I'm like it is like traumatic that I did this Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it took me some time just to talk it out and get through with it my own husband's a doctor so how how am I getting away from this no I'm not (laughs) so I had to I didn't even want to talk to him a little bit kind of like I kind of didn't want to it was hard um and I realized after some time that I was getting better and I had a therapist and I was working out I was eating right I was sleeping I just was doing everything that my human body just didn't get for a long time um and all of that just worked in my favor so I decided to really start facing tackling the things that scare me and that step three that was scaring me I had a lot of traumatic situations involving that exam and I had to overcome that and I did so it I finished it I passed it and then I was scared about residency I didn't like the fact though I didn't like the fact that um when I think back on it all I have is a bad experience you know I kind of feel like I just wanted to have the opportunity to have a good experience, at least a decent experience. I think too, like sometimes redoing something and having a better experience can be like healing, right? It can replace. Yes. That's what I wanted. Like, you know, like if you have an abusive romantic relationship and then you go on to have a really secure, great, uh, supportive relationship that new relationship can make you sort of actually 
in a lot of ways, in a good way, forget the abusive one. I think it's the same way mm-hmm. with, like, you know, what you're talking about in, in residency. You are never going to be able to get away from the pain of your identity as a, as a doctor and how you feel like one and don't feel like one at the same time because of everything that you've gone through unless you're able to have that healing experience. And like we yeah. like we sort of talked about, you know, you could go into private practice if you wanted to, but right. it sounds like for you it's important. You do want to finish your training. You do want a good experience, and you do want to heal from all the shit that you've gone through. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to me because I still look back on it, and I think um, – I kind of just have negative feelings about the whole thing. And I just, I want to, for the rest of my future, kind of have something to juxtapose it with. Say, hey, you know, that was difficult. That was bad. And and I know that there's better experiences out there because I've, I've met people that have had better experiences, like that had nothing like yes. what I've had. And I just want to, uh, I want to experience that. And I want to actually learn things in that kind of an environment because that's how my, like, I will, instead of being in fight or flight all the time, I'll actually be sitting there absorbing knowledge, enjoying my time and enjoying working with the patients. Um, like, even now I'm learning more and more why I want to be a doctor all over again. Like this, I, I recently um, joined this group, Postpartum Support International, and mm-hmm. I'm in the process of becoming uh one of the, what do you call it? It's like one of the members that reaches out to the community, like a community leader. And I, and I help women that have postpartum or peripartum mood disorders. Yeah. Like a liaisons. Exactly. And, um, so I'm in the process of doing that. And I just went through the, went to this conference and I'm working on getting my PMHC certification because it excites me. Like it actually yeah. intrigues me. And I've like, I learned so much over the course of this past week that I just like, I'll go to my husband and I'll just talk to him about it and be so excited and tell him all the yeah. things that I learned. And I'm like, I want to be able to do this, you know? I yeah. still love it. Even after everything, I still want to be a psychiatrist because I, I, you know, I think I'm just living proof for myself and for patients that you can overcome, like, traumatic situations and events. You can overcome feeling so sad and down and scared and anxious like all that negative stuff like you can actually grow from it overcome all that and still like just be a strong person uh if it's like if that wasn't possible like why would we ever have psychiatry in the first place like exactly we would just tell everyone oh you're depressed your life's over so Oh, you had a traumatic experience? (laughs) Sorry, you're going to have chronic PTSD the rest of your life. But that's not the case. The case really is that, you know, if you commit to it, there, with rare exceptions, Mm -hmm. there's almost, you know, nothing that you can't get through. The obvious exceptions are like you're in like a war-torn area or in complete and utter poverty. Like obviously there are some outliers But for most of us, we have a lot of choices that we get to make that guide our future. And I think your story is so inspiring. And like I said, like, 
Yes, when we were in residency together, you were my best friend, and it was definitely a loss losing you. Mm-hmm. Um, I but, missed you guys. Yeah, yes, but you know, at the same time, when some when you do care about someone, you just want what's best for them, and especially if you're a psychiatrist, you should always be supportive of someone doing whatever they need to do. But yeah. what I want to know now is, I know you're sort of a non on here, but mm-hmm. is there anything you can say about what you're looking for that if someone was listening and they knew about an opportunity, they could like DM me about it? Is there any way that we oh. can help you? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Like, yeah. are you are you open about like sharing what you're looking for in a program, like mm-hmm. where or anything like that? Because yeah. there are a lot of listeners to this podcast hi everybody more connections amazing I want to help you at least you know if someone could slide into my dms that would be great yes actually I am so I'm looking into a pgy3 position ideally I've been getting a lot of feedback that it's difficult to get those and maybe even programs don't like giving them um so if there is a pgy2 i'm working on being okay with that so we'll think about it (laughs) so don't if you have if you know of a pgy2 one still reach out yeah yeah but but ideally ideally a pgy3 for sure And, and um i'm looking in particular states um i have my license in arizona right now I am looking to, and I can potentially get it in like uh, Nevada, New Mexico, Illinois, uh, New York, Ohio, North Carolina. So places, residencies with a PGY3 position in those states um, would be ideal. Um, I really do want to give myself the chance to have a, um, a good experience, something that I'll reflect on for the rest of my life and that will, uh, guide my career moving forward. Um, I, I, um, I am very interested in like perinatal anxiety and mood disorders, um, in particular but it doesn't have to have that it doesn't have to be like oh we have this robust maternal ward or something it doesn't have to but I mean if it did all the better um I'm looking to start potentially like this is my husband's last year of residency and so I want to we could move there together so I will have Mm -hmm. my support system so that would be it would be perfect for me to like have him wherever I go. So we're in any in any of those places, uh, we would be willing to go there. So obviously, if you have, keep your minds open. If you don't know of anything right now, but if you hear of anything, and I will definitely make a post on our Instagram too, mm-hmm. because I feel like you know what's the whole point of having a medical community if you don't utilize it for those who could benefit from the system? Yeah, but that's I just want to say. You know, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I know these talking about this type of stuff is very painful, but I mm-hmm. also think, you know, you're there's an aspect of taking the power back because you're told you also can't talk about these things, but you yeah. can. You just have to recognize that no one has anything that they can actually take from you. So yes. thank you so much. I know that one day mm-hmm. you will be 
the most wonderful psychiatrist and whoever <laughs> gets to be your patient is incredibly blessed. And I've known Aww, that since I met you. Thank and you. I'm sorry that, you know, there's been so much shit that's gotten in the way of that being your reality in this moment. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the reality is the people who take challenges and use those challenges not even challenges in your case, like really terrible, shitty things. If you take those situations and you, you know, you grow from them, it just makes you that much stronger and that much more of an inspiration. Like when you've been through really terrible shit, you know, patients come in and they've been through all these terrible things all the time. And if someone hadn't really been through anything, it can be really hard to relate. But Natalie's yeah. saying that in the chat too but I know that you can relate and no matter what oh, someone's yeah. been through you can find it in you to imagine what it would be like to be in their situation yes it's so really much more I even talk to people that aren't in the medical field just different women in different situations and I do relate to them so much more and I have that compassion and empathy like I'd never known so I'm thankful for that it was a hard road and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy but when it happens to you I think it's just you can you can take it and use it as an opportunity to do something good so I'm really hopeful that this podcast is my first time really talking about it so publicly I have an Instagram I have a Facebook I have all this stuff I do not talk about it on there because I just I don't know I just I just keep it all separate it's just such a thing but I'm so glad to be able to share this on your podcast today. Yes. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. And I hope that, you know, this is part of like the first step of it becoming something that is less painful to talk about. And it's just like, this is part of my story, but yeah, I overcame it and I had to go through so much more terrible mm-hmm. stuff, but yeah. it's in the past now, hopefully. Well, thank you so much for this consult story, yes. whatever it is. But anyways, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs>